0: Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you this morning. Lord, we have so much to be grateful for. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, which you lavish on us every day, and for your steadfast love for your people that you have shown through the ages. Lord, we also thank you for the truth of your word, and that we can learn this morning about a prophet whose prophecies were made hundreds of years before Christ was born and yet they were fulfilled in him. He was the Messiah, our Redeemer. Lord, and thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit and I pray that you would fill each one of us here or listening this morning with your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear the truth of your word and to believe it and let it seep deeply, seep deeply into our hearts. We pray all these things in your great and holy name, amen. Well, good morning, Hope family and guests. My name is Eric Tooker, and I'm an elder here at Hope, and it's my great privilege to be able to be with you this morning and to bring you this message. Well, ready or not, we are officially in the countdown to Christmas. I know that for some of you, this started about Labor Day. But in my house, the rule was always that You didn't get to do Christmas until after Thanksgiving. No Christmas music, no Christmas decorations. Now, I didn't do that just to be a tyrant. Uh, I love Thanksgiving. I love having a holiday where we can uh, just pour out our hearts in gratitude to God for all the blessings that he's given us. So that's my noble reason for having the rule. But I I have to say that it was uh, regularly violated, um, and, you know, there there are, are dark powers that at work against the rule, spouses, children. And uh, I would come home from work, and I'd come to the door from the garage into the house, and I'd hear Christmas music blasting. And I'd just go, okay. And so I'd make noise coming into the house, dead silence when I came in. And and all my kids would be sitting there with these grins on their faces like they pulled something over on me. I knew. I knew every time. My girls aren't here this morning, so uh, uh, they, they'll, they won't hear me tell them that I, I knew every time. Um, well, since we're well past Thanksgiving, as far as I'm concerned, we can legally have the first sermon in our Advent series, It is about joy and that Jesus is the fulfillment of joy. And hopefully in our short time together, I'll be able to convince you of that. Well, Johannes talked about Advent, and it is a time of preparation for the celebration of the birth of Christ at Christmas. But it should also be a time of expectant waiting for the return of Christ at his second coming or second Advent. Maybe now more than ever. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to our chapter, or to our chapter this morning. It's uh, uh, Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. As you turn there, I just want to urge you to uh, be intentional and take time to reflect on his coming, to meditate on why he came and what it means to you personally. And don't let the day after Christmas. Be a day of regret for you, as it has for me sometimes when I focused too much on worldly things and not enough on the birth of our Savior. Oh, by the way, you can find uh, Isaiah 35 on page 557 of your Pew Bible. This is a passage of good news for those who heard it originally because they were experiencing God's judgment And it's good news for us because it's a prophecy of the Messiah to come, the one who would save his people from their sins, and it was fulfilled by Jesus. But before we dive into the passage, I think a little context will be helpful. First, context about Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God who lived roughly 700 years before Christ was born. He was the prophet to the kingdom of Judah. And the book of Isaiah is about God's judgment on his people for their sin and rebellion against him. But also about hope that God would fulfill his covenant promises and bring his people out of darkness and into the light. The prophet Isaiah is perhaps most well known for his vision of the Lord on his throne in Isaiah chapter 6. And I think it's worth looking at because it's when Isaiah was chosen as a prophet and the vision of Jesus on his throne clearly changed Isaiah's life. And as I read it, it's somewhat of a lengthy passage. Just imagine if you were Isaiah and seeing this vision. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Well, Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord Jesus sitting on his throne, and this vision influenced all of his prophetic writings, especially chapter 35. After all, he had seen the coming Messiah. In his glory. The other thing that Isaiah is well known for is the number of prophecies he made concerning a coming Messiah. He also made prophecies about the suffering the Messiah would have who would come to save his people from their sin. Because of all these prophecies about Jesus, the book of Isaiah is sometimes referred to as the fifth gospel. Here are just a couple of prophecies uh, to help you see why. Isaiah 7 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9 6 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We'll come back to that one in just a minute. Isaiah 53 But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, I think you'll agree that these are amazingly accurate prophecies made 700 years before Christ was born. Each of these and more were fulfilled by Jesus, and hopefully, this helps us have confidence in God's plan of salvation for us. So I'm gonna show a map uh, and talk about the specific context of the people of Judah. And I know Bill's the map guy, so don't tell him I did this. Thank you. Um, The the nation of Israel was divided into two after Solomon died. Solomon allowed adultery... (laughs) idolatry. Don't tell Bill that either. (laughs) Thank you. Solomon, Solomon let idolatry and maybe adultery uh, run rampant in uh, his kingdom. And as a judgment, God uh, uh, divided the nation of Israel into two, the kingdom of Judah in the south, which consisted of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin and the other 10 tribes uh, were consolidated in the kingdom of Israel in the north. But what I really wanted to show the, you this for is uh, to see that that the nation, uh, uh, the kingdom of Judah, and the and the kingdom of Israel are surrounded by enemies. To the north was the Assyrian Empire, which you can see up there, and then just to the east of where Aramean tribes are was Babylon, and. Uh, The Babylonian Empire was a rising power, and it would become the greatest power. And then just south of the kingdom of Edom was Egypt, and the kingdom of Judah tried many alliances with Egypt, and none of them worked, so they were still an enemy. And then you see to the west, uh, the Philistine states. And I say all this to say that they're surrounded by enemies, and God used those enemies to Uh, uh, basically for judgment against uh, the sins of the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. Uh, And eventually, the Assyrian Empire did conquer the kingdom of Israel and took many of them uh, into captivity. And eventually, as Isaiah prophesied, the kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity by Babylon for 70 years The people of Judah are in open rebellion against God. They have rejected him completely and are about to reap what they sowed. God, through Isaiah, tells them that hardship and punishment and oppression are coming. In Isaiah 5, 5 through 7, the prophet compares the kingdom of Judah with a vineyard. Now I will tell you what I am going to do To my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. And if you're thinking that the way I'm describing the kingdom of Judah sounds like our world today, I would agree with you. As Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Israel is still surrounded by enemies. More importantly, our country, our world, has rebelled against God, and we are in a time of great spiritual darkness. God is turning us over to live with the effects of our sin. What Isaiah said about the people of Judah is true of us. Everything good we call bad, and everything bad we call good. And he said, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I don't think we even do the honoring with our lips part anymore. But Isaiah chapter 35 gives us hope, just like it did to the people of Judah. One commentator said that chapter 35 is Isaiah's but God moment. There are many passages of scripture where the word but is followed by the intervention of a compassionate, loving God Something was lost, but now it's found. Someone was dead, but now they're alive. Someone was blind, but now they see. There was no way, but God made a way. Without God's intervention, we would all be under condemnation for sin, but God provided a way of salvation. The Messiah, our Redeemer, And if we believe in him, there's no longer any condemnation for sin. In John 20, 31, the apostle John, speaking of the miracles that Jesus was doing, said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Well, I'm sorry for that long introduction. We're finally about to read chapter 35. This is a prophetic passage and we need to see the short-term prophecy that applied to the kingdom of Judah but the longer-term prophecy that applies to us about Jesus the Messiah coming. Isaiah's message to both Judah and us is that the Messiah is coming and he will change everything. Isaiah 35 Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water in the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there but the redeemed shall walk there and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Well, this is a passage full of joy and gladness. God is redeeming the land and its people. He is showing us what the way of salvation is like, or more specifically, who the way of salvation is through. Spiritual and political darkness hung over the nation of Judah. It was a time of hopelessness and despair. But God, what did God do? Look at the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 9. This passage sets up what Isaiah says in chapter 35. We'll look at verses two and three first. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. Well, what is this great light? And why has joy increased? After all, the world still lives under a curse, that has plagued the earth and mankind since sin came into the Garden of Eden. The effects of the curse, especially our own sin, has made us weary physically, emotionally, spiritually. What's God's answer for that? It's a baby, a child, the Messiah. Isaiah goes on in verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born... of the Lord of hosts will do this. In chapter 9, Isaiah directs our hearts and minds to a coming child who will become a king, who will rule with justice and righteousness and bring peace to our souls. God's people had to wait a long time, but here God promised the Messiah would come to his people. And now we're going to look closer at chapter 35, unpack it a bit. We're going to see Isaiah elaborating on what he prophesied in chapter 9. In chapter 35, Isaiah gives us four pictures of what the Messiah will do for us when he comes. The first picture is this. He will make you a new creation, verses 1 and 2. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Well, we know the desert well living here in Phoenix, don't we? And if you've been hiking or riding in the desert in, oh, say, August, you know how dry and barren it is. But here, the land of Judah is worse. It's a wasteland, as Isaiah called it. But now Isaiah is proclaiming the wasteland will begin to blossom. What was once dead, dry ground will be green and full of life. For Judah, is, it's the hope of a future, their land will be restored. For us, the picture here is of God bringing life out of death. And this new life can't help but rejoice. When we accept the Messiah as our redeemer, we experience this new life in ourselves and become a new creation, and we rejoice. The second picture in verses three through four is that he will save you. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. There's more hope for Judah. God will strengthen them while they're in exile and will bring them out of exile with a strong hand with vengeance on their captors. For us, it's a message that when the Messiah comes, he will strengthen the weak, the feeble, the anxious heart, but also that he'll come with justice, not just vengeance against those who persecuted his people, but recompense, a reward for those who trust in him or punishment for those who reject him. And there's no more need to fear what happens to you in this life because the Messiah has come as promised. We know that. And now that he has come, he will save you. It's a guarantee. Of course, for those who want to be saved. The third picture of what the Messiah will do is in verses five and seven. He will heal physically Isaiah returns to the vivid imagery of water that dominates the landscape and brings life to it. And the people of Judah will receive physical healing as well as their land being restored. For us, the Messiah will bring life to his people as he does the land. Many will be healed of their physical infirmities. And we know Jesus fulfilled this prophecy In fact, Jesus quoted from this passage when John the Baptist doubted who he was and sent some men to him. In Luke 7, it says, and when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. I love that last part about the good news being preached to the poor. Because it demonstrates that the Messiah will bring healing that is not just physical, but is spiritual. Through the power of the gospel, he wants to heal us body and soul. And may God open our eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of who the Messiah is, our Lord and Savior. The last picture is that he will provide the way of salvation, verses 8 through 10. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. And no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there. Ah, but the redeemed shall walk there and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. For the people of Judah, there is hope because God will make a way for them to return to Jerusalem, their Zion. After their captivity in Babylon, And they will go back with joy and singing. And for us, even though as a people, we turned our backs on God, we're in fact enemies of God. God made a way for us. So we can be reconciled to him. And once reconciled, we will have eternal life with him. The way of holiness will always be there. All we have to do is choose to take it. Once we're on it, we can never lose our way. Once we are on the way, there is nothing that can hurt us, hinder us, or stop us. And we don't have to search for the way of holiness. The Messiah who came has made the way plain to us. It is not hard to find if you want to. We can't do anything to earn access to it. Anyone can access it if they choose the Messiah who freely gives it. But there is only one way. And that's hard to hear in this pluralistic society that conditions us that all truth is relative and that we can all have our own truth. That's just not true. But let's be honest, if God gave us 1,000 ways to come to him, we would demand 1,001. But God made the way of holiness starting with the birth of a baby. He gave us his only son. That baby grew to be a man and fulfilled this prophecy, becoming the way of salvation. In John 14, doubting Thomas asked Jesus, how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. For us, Zion represents heaven, where we will be with the Lord forever. The joy there is everlasting joy. Yes, we'll have joy on the way, but when we reach our destination, our true home, we will have everlasting joy Because he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for these things will have passed away. Earlier we talked about but God passages. My favorite is Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Well, this is the gospel in a nutshell. We're dead in sin. There's absolutely nothing we can do to save ourselves, no matter how hard we try to earn it. And I'll just say if you're here this morning or watching online, and you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, this describes your condition. You're dead in your sin, an enemy of God. But God, because of his grace, his mercy and his love, made a way of salvation where there was no way. We can be made alive with Christ. All we have to do is admit that we're sinners, and accept him as our savior by grace through faith. If you don't know him, open your heart and choose the Messiah as your savior. Well, what exactly is joy? For a Christian, joy is not an emotion. It's not a sense of happiness. It's a fruit of the spirit, a gift from God that the Holy Spirit manifests in our hearts. For me, it includes a deep, settled conviction of God's love and acceptance for me. As author J.D. Greer says, it's knowing that there is nothing we can do to make God love us more and nothing we have done that makes him love us less. Well, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have a sure and certain promise that everlasting joy is in your future. Isaiah 35 says so, and it all points to Jesus the Messiah, the one Isaiah saw high and lifted up on his throne in heaven. We're promised everlasting joy when we go to be with him or when Jesus comes again. We don't know what will happen between now and then. My guess is perilous times that will try our faith. But when he does come, or when we go to him, he will take us to a place of eternal, everlasting joy. And what about joy now? My favorite Christmas hymn is, O Holy Night. The first stanza goes like this. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Well, as you can tell, these words speak to me. Even just reading the lyrics makes me feel the burden of the curse that's on this world and that's on me as a sinful human being. Ah, but the child has come, and our soul feels its worth. Why? Because God gave us his son. And we found out what we were worth to him. What price he was willing to pay to have us as his children. We found out just how much he loves us. Let me invite the worship team to come back up now. Um, Looking at our circumstances, the world we live in right now, some might be tempted to say look what the world has come to but if we put our focus on the Messiah the son that was given to us we can replace look what the world has come to with look who has come to the world and as we celebrate the gift of the Messiah, we can look to the future and say, look who's coming again, the one who loves us so much. Jesus came and that has made all the difference. And I hope that's enough for joy to come into your life, even to the hardest hearts or the most sorrowful hearts or hearts wracked by pain or hearts full of fear That is what Jesus the Messiah came to change. So let the joy from the fact that Jesus came into our world and more importantly into our lives come into our hearts this Christmas. Don't miss the gift. Don't miss the baby. Don't miss the Messiah. And don't miss the joy. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the truth of your word and that we can count on it. That we know the Messiah has come and that makes all the difference. Father, again, thank you for all the blessings that you give us. And Lord, I pray that you will pour out your blessings on each one here and each one listening. Father, grant us grace and wisdom uh, to really focus on you during this time leading up to Christmas. We pray all these things in your great and holy name. Amen.